Welcome to The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, and I can speak personally and say that I fully support workers' rights and the ability to strike for those said rights. And this week I'm joined by my co-host, friend, and the man that I'll let speak for himself, but I imagine probably voices similar opinions to that, Jesse. How you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. I didn't know you were going to come out so strongly to start the episode. I didn't have anything prepared. <laughs> Fair. Well, I just thought uh, this particular topic is something that is uh, its more of a uh, current event and is more uh, serious than a lot of the other stuff we cover. So, I don't know. I just figured we'd come out swinging just right off the bat. Set the tone. <laughs> well, I echo what you say and this show has and always will be for workers' rights and to get paid for what you're worth. So, yeah. Amen. <laughs> Perfect. Well, what we're talking about this week is writers' strike in Hollywood as well as the actors' strike that is currently going on that they just recently started. To acknowledge, the writers' strike has been going on for some time now. We hadn't covered it up to this point just because... Well, we had our schedule kind of booked out. We were moving through stuff. And then we kind of found this hole in the schedule that, you know what? I was talking with some people at work and realized that I didn't know something. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's good to talk a little bit more about it. And that's how we got to this topic for this episode. So what was it that you didn't know that you found out about that prompted this? Yeah, so we were talking about uh, Amazon Prime Day, uh, and one of my coworkers goes like, "Oh my!" It's just like you didn't buy anything on Amazon Amazon Prime Day, right? Okay. And my response was, "Well, no, but that's because I consistently always forget it's happening. Also, they put it like in the middle of the week and like an off month for me or an off week, so like I haven't gotten paid, so I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know." more fiscally responsible with my money because I'm like, Oh, well, I, I don't, I didn't just get paid. So I need to, you know, save some money. Sure. And I, I was like, you know, we should, why don't they put it on like, you know, Saturdays and Sundays? Like, come on. I think those deals are often overrated anyways. So there's a couple of different things to take away from that. <laughs> yeah. My coworker expressed to me that they were like, yeah, the screen actors as well as the, writers were like saying don't don't support amazon for them and all this type of stuff and i was just like really and they're like yeah and i was like i follow like two or three pretty prevalent people and i heard nothing about this and i was like maybe they should have done like a better job of like broadcasting that because i feel like that wouldn't that like i didn't hear anything about that messaging and like i said i follow a few people on socials that are pretty involved uh, one of them i'll talk about here in a little bit as kind of i feel a pretty trusted source for information um but they were like yeah but like you, you and they were like oh well, i follow directly the uh wwga and sag uh af aftra um and so i was just like oh well i don't follow them so if they they should have used some more of that social media push to get that information out there. So not to not to say that, you know, it was bad or anything else like that. It was just one of those things was like, I'm, I didn't I didn't even know I wasn't supposed to buy anything. I didn't buy anything, but I didn't even know I wasn't, wasn't supposed to. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're more active on the social media than I am. So if you didn't hear about it, I definitely heard zilch nada about any of that. So. Yeah, and I think that goes back and forth with the some of the we'll touch on, I think, at the start of this is the misinformation stuff. Um, there is I can is one of those things that because of social media, I think we hear more about this stuff and get more viewpoints than probably previously was understood. I think back to oh, I was really young, I want to say there yeah probably maybe double digits in the sense of like low tens my fa i don't know how we got on the topic but i asked my father what a union was uh -huh. and he like explained it to me and i remember his comments not being the most um flattering yeah yeah flattering 
and not, not to say that they were totally disparaging, but he like kind of put it in a framework that made it sound like unions weren't super great for particular things. Now, I remember him saying that particular unions, and I think he was meaning the entertainment unions, which there is a lot of. There's uh, ones for actors, writers, directors. IATSE is, you know, stagehands. He was like, there are some unions that are good, but other ones, they're, you know, just a propped up kind of uh, a bloated bureaucracy that you pay money to that doesn't really support you. And as I've gotten older, I potentially see where that information he was giving me was coming from because for a period of time, there was a lot of political push in this nation that my father would be kind of in that age range of being somebody who is malleable to opinions would believe kind of coming up in his age, age range. Mm. And so it's interesting to like learn about unions, what they do, learn about the good unions, learn about bad union stuff, learn about how maybe some people made unions sound worse than they actually were. I'm just interested to talk a little bit more about this unions currently on strike and what this means for us in the entertainment world, what this means going forward, what they're fighting for in not only a sense of for the entertainment world, but to prove the importance of unions. Just talk about the kind of what's going on, some things you, to help educate, learn a little bit more, uh, know what you can do to support them, uh, even if it is something that you, you know, you're not there. And we're just kind of people existing in the sense of this is entertainment that we consume, these people produce. And to be clear, I'm going to say that again, these people produce in the sense of make, manufacture, put together the entertainment that we consume and no matter what you know giant ceo in his ivory tower or uh you know ivory yacht says they aren't the most important part of the process the ceo does not make the creativity does not make us feel those emotions does not show up every day to set to hang the lights they're not the ones doing that mm -hmm. and so i think that's why we you know talk a little bit about the writers and the uh actors going on strike here and to be clear maybe leverage was not the greatest choice of words but essentially the ones complaining about this <laughs> being the victims and singling out these essential parties is not being quote unquote the most important part of the process um these are the people with you know their hand on the switch right so at any point they could end this if they wanted to and yep. it would be done and everybody who's on strike would be happy but that's not usually how these things tend to go right and it's to that point kind of to get into it is misinformation that's coming out um it has kind of pegs some of potentially actors writers as in these like the villain role and that's because potentially not saying anyone is truly doing this because i can't like you know definitively say like this is what's wrong um but a lot of news media is held by these same companies right True. The industry has changed immensely from where it was, uh, you know, five years ago, a decade, you know, two decades, three, four decades ago. Like it has shifted so much that it is important to realize that there's a lot of these companies that are handling this contract negotiation, quote unquote, because the companies aren't actually doing it. They've hired out to a another group to effectively be the ones communicating and doing the the negotiating uh -huh. they also own a lot of these media these larger media conglomerates the news the the press the you know the news cycles and stuff like that they're the ones that are doing this so it is important to go out there and find the boots on the ground information again back to that social media comment i made a little bit ago it's because of social media, I think we're seeing more and more of what these ma major corporations are doing. And it's showing them to be the true villain of the story, 
even if maybe potentially some of the other information coming out is trying to peg these writers and these actors as the villains more specifically because the writers have been going for so long and they're actually in a lot of the interviews i saw and conversations they are the more militant of the uh unions that work in hollywood they are consistently the ones that go on strike uh, they're the ones that consistently push for a better standard of living for themselves and their members. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how a nationwide strike over involving our most popular forms of entertainment is already playing out like this scenario probably would if it were scripted for a film or a television series. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, Fox is probably the most obvious example there. But I mean, Disney owns ABC. So yeah, so I mean, they can probably push, the, you know, put, put a thumb on that scale, a nice big white gloved thumb. Yeah, um, they're, they're all in the same boat. You just have yeah. to assume, as you would with most things, that these certain popular news networks probably do have some type of agenda and you have to find your like with anything else the actual newsworthy trustworthy sources that will give you what's what yeah and on that i'll, I'll talk a little bit about one of the uh, trustworthy uh, loyal sources i guess that i seem to uh, fall back on for at least information at least i find them to be a very good starting point for a lot of stuff Sure. Uh, is uh, Adam Conover, who is um, an American comedian slash writer. Uh, he's part of the Writers Guild. He's he's he has a very big social media following presence. He is very famous for doing the show. Uh, Adam ruins everything. I absolutely loved because well, it's just an entire show about fun facts and tearing down social uh, understandings, and that's. One of my favorite things is just learning fun facts about stuff. <laughs> there you go. But he is part of the union. He is uh, very, like I said, has a very strong social media presence. He has posted quite a few things. He's talked about like how we can support the actors uh, or sorry, how we can support the writers. And specifically, there's like a lot of confusion around like, should you cancel a subscription? Uh, what should you do? How to process like if you go out to to California and you're like, oh, well, I want to go to the studio because I'm here. But do you cross a picket line or not? Um, all of that stuff. And he has a very good he has a lot of very good explanations. He does a few podcasts where he brought on some different people to talk about this. He's been on a lot of uh, new stations kind of talking and, and he gets real riled up, which I really love. He's a, quite a passionate guy. So if you're looking for a good place to start, I do recommend Adam Conover um, pretty much anything that to deal with the writers uh, he's talked about pretty passionately. So, and he seems to be a very trustworthy person uh, in the sense that he, I haven't found anything bad about him. And uh, he even in his own show, Adam ruins everything did an entire Adam ruins everything ruins Adam where he, where they went back and were like, well, we got this kind of wrong. So we're going to explain what we did wrong type stuff. So he at least seems to be pretty trustworthy. Gets all riled up. No, you, you wouldn't like that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I don't, I don't know anybody, why anybody would be excited by getting riled up. Sure. Um, I'm glad he's been doing, it sounds like, the press tour in some ways those are the people that you need out there with sharing their side of things so to kind of talk a little bit about it like this what a strike is i i mean that's kind of where i don't i understand what a strike is because theater and entertainment and stuff like that i was introduced to it quite a, uh, a little bit more um but i think a good example if you're looking to understand like a bit of a strike is actually funnily enough the do you remember the show The Nanny Jesse? Sort of, yeah. With uh, Fran uh, Drescher? <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> well, premise of the show, it's, uh, yeah, 90s show where Fran Drescher plays this very loud, very caricature of a person. <laughs> um, and she, like, nannies for this, like, very upper. Uh, aristocratic 
uh, family. And it's kind of just like the juxtaposition of like, oh, like crass working class lady versus, you know, upper crust people. Wackiness ensues type episodes. But there's actually an episode that the character Fran um, doesn't want to cross the picket line of a bunch of busboys at this hotel, this event that the entire family's going to. And she very clearly says, like, you know, you just don't cross a picket line. It's just not something you should do. And Chetfield, I think, is the the her boss's name is like, no, let's go bubble all this type of stuff. And she's like, no, I don't do it. It's just you, you shouldn't do it. And then so hilarity ensues. They get caught in the, the photo, blah, 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 all this type of stuff. Doesn't really matter. But the important part here is to remember is that the character in the in the show Nanny didn't want to cross a picket line. Now, Fran Jesser in the year 2023 is now the president of SAG. Sorry, she is one of the ones at the head of the Screen Actors Guild's strike against the studios. So it's just kind of a fun thing that, you know, she played a character that didn't want to cross a picket line. And now she is an action in her real life is a person that is forming picket lines. <laughs> well, uh, twist of irony there. Eh? Yeah, I guess so. Um, but so in picket lines, the idea is that you as an organization, a union pickets place of employment to essentially prevent people from crossing it because crossing a picket line, uh, even if you aren't, uh, even if you aren't a scab, and then crosses that picket line to do the work that the people are picketing, uh, which is a very bad thing. You should never do that. You should avoid being a scab at all point at all costs. It can actually prevent you from joining the uh, Writers Guild, uh, Actors Guild. Uh, a lot of these types of guilds won't hire you if you are found out to be a scab at some point. But even as patrons, you really shouldn't cross that picket line because the whole point of a picket line is to slow down and prevent and hurt that business's business and hurt them in such a way that it causes them to have to come to the negotiation table to increase the standards of the workplace for said workers. So crossing a picket line, you should avoid it pretty much at all costs. But if, you know... Uh, I think one thing Adam said in one of his things was like, if, you know, we understand that if it is a once in a lifetime thing and you are just like, I'm only going to be here, I really want to experience this because it's always been a dream. He's like, under we, we can understand that. It's if you, you know, are doing it every day. If you are doing it to be a scab, that's where people start drawing the line in the sand and being like, no, you can't really do this. But, you know, I would still say don't cross a picket line. It's a respect for those people, those workers that are demanding effectively a better life. It's funny because my earliest experience with the strike was probably the movie, the replacements where Keanu Reeves and his fellow replacement football players uh, cross the picket line, but are the heroes of the movie. So, Yeah, it's big media, Jesse. They got gotcha. you. Fun movie, though. It is a fun movie. Um, <laughs> we'll get you twice. <laughs> but yeah, most of the time it's because they are demanding better lives. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, the players in that movie are giant dicks or something. They, they like frame it in such a way that you don't actually feel bad for the players for crossing the picket line. So I guess that's their way around it. But yeah. Yeah. This, they, they this is not that it. scenario. No, I, I mean, to be fair too, like oftentimes when this happens in sports uh i mean a lot of these athletes who make it to the pros are making like at least the very least like pretty comfortable salaries even on the minimum and that's not the case for these folks in the writer and screen actors guild in a lot of cases yeah i think we could talk a little bit kind of going into why the writers first went on strike and we can follow up with the actors here in a second and kind of do it chronologically uh in that regard but the actor or sorry but the writers kind of went on strike to start off with because they are starting to feel like they are being cut out of the industry uh kind of from my understanding and again this is me doing my research kind of looking into this i am obviously not a uh reporter uh <laughs> 
I, um, I could, I mean, I couldn't spell my well, my way out of wet paper, uh, 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 dictionary. So I'm just going off of what I've learned online and my understanding of what's happening. So that disclaimer in place, my understanding of why the writers were going on strike to start off with was pretty much because Hollywood is run by evil corporations and they want to fuck over the writers as much as they possibly can while acting like they're giving out favors. Would you like to expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, maybe just a little. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you're wrong, but I think there is some nuance to this that's important. Yes, exactly. So kind of what's been happening is, is how the structure of old Hollywood, and I say old, and I mean like slightly, you know, when, you know, 20 years ago or something like that, before streaming is the really way to think about it. Which makes me feel old, but continue. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, This process of writing shows was very structured, right? You had seasons of shows and through the seasons of a run of a show, you would have the starting point, which is the writer's room, where you get a group of people together to write uh, a show is really where a lot of this comes from. A lot of movies, um, there's still writers that help, but it is a lot more around the structure of like one person or two people or several people or uh, when we can tell, you know, a really bad movie is written by committee, you know, a bunch of people sitting in a room just trying to piece together some Frankenstein thing. But a lot of TV shows where a lot of this comes from is part of this idea for the writers is that the writer's room is the sacred thing, a very important step in the process because it happens. It was the, it's the very start of the entire show. You don't go anywhere without a writer's room, a group of people coming together, working together and writing this show. Now there are different levels of the writer's room, um, which we'll, I'll, I'll try to swing back to here in a second or so, but you start with the writer's room. From the writer's room, then you go into production, uh, you know, where, and maybe there's a little pre-production in there as well, but the production where you're filming and shooting and doing the main focus of the show. After that, you go into post-production, which is, you know, cleaning up, uh, tweaking, editing, going, oh, we need to re-record this line or like, this isn't working. We need to like kind of come up with a scene in between. And then you have airing, the show actually going out. And so it sounds like four very nice parts. It is not. There is parts of the writer's room as it used to be. And this is where people are, where writers are having issues, is that writer's rooms and that pre-production phase would kind of bleed into the production phase. So you would have time where writers would be on set, would be potentially working with the production crews, uh, the actors, seeing how lines were reading, seeing how things were happening, and making rewrites on set because they suddenly realized, like, oh, this character, like, oh, I envisioned this character as, you know, somebody from uh, South Bronx. But they're playing this character as somebody from uh, Northern California. Very different human beings, Right. And so the writer would be like, oh, well, let's tweak kind of your character. And they would kind of do some rewrites there in that first part of it to kind of better fit what potentially the director, the showrunner, um, the the actor kind of has envisioned, right? Right. And so then, pre, so then they're kind of going through that time. Then production keeps going. And then you have post-production that kind of starts. And maybe there's some bleed back over. And maybe the maybe some people from the writer's room need to come back to rewrite some stuff because they realize that it's just not working or something happens and they need to kind of do a little bit. And so then the airing happens. And so through all this time, you're talking about what used to be close to, I think it was 20 weeks, they were saying, of, of work, right? So you have 20 weeks of work to do an entire season of shows, which was used to be like 24. Remember when all shows, you know, used to be 24 episodes long and it was crazy. And, you know, seasons would go on forever. Um, I think sitcoms, especially. Exactly. Yeah. So you'd be doing, um, I think I said 20, I meant 40. It's now 20, 40 
weeks of work for this sitcom, right? So there's multiple episodes, all this type of stuff. Well, since the shift has happened with streaming now being the main way people consume media, even if it is in a form that does go to traditional television, it is much shorter seasons. We're only getting six seasons of, you know, Secret Invasion. We only got six episodes of um, The Bear on Hulu. We only got six episodes or so of uh, Good Omens on uh, Amazon Prime. So now we don't need to be there for 40 weeks, right? Because we aren't, we're doing a quarter of what was previously done. So shows are not needing to run as long. Shows don't have to have as much production time. They don't have to have as much post-production time, which means they don't need as much writer room time. Mm -hmm. So you're taking 40 weeks and now you're pushing them down to 20 weeks. Okay. And I don't know if you uh, keep up with how many weeks are in a year, Jesse, but 40 is most of a year. 20 yeah. is a lot less than most of a year. Yeah, that's that's a level of math I can understand. So now you have somebody who used to, as a writer, would work. They would work on the show. They would work on it for a while. They would then be able to potentially go to set. And especially with the different levels of writers, you know, you have like your intro writer level people. Um, and then you kind of slowly work your, you have a process that you work your way up through. And as you work your way through that process, you get to learn more and more about the process, learn a little bit more, a little bit more, eventually maybe become a showrunner. So on the highest end of spectrum for being able to write story editors, executives, co-producers, all those, stuff. like those levels, you slowly kind of can work your way up. And that's sure. because you were able to go to the set and learn not only what you as a writer could do, what you would be doing, but you could learn more. Um, I think to kind of talk about Adam at one point, he talks about how he was a writer. And when he went to set, the showrunner person came over to him and said, like, hey, we have to rewrite this scene. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, you have the guy jumping in the pool. And Adam's like, yeah, that's the point. He's supposed to jump in the pool. And the guy goes, no, we can't show that on camera. And Adam was like, why? And he's like, well, because you see, every time he jumps in the pool, all his clothes are going to get wet. His hair is going to get wet. His makeup's going to get wet. So that means we either, A, have to get him out of the pool, dry him all the way off, and come back to this when he's all ready to go again. Or we go to wardrobe and we get at least eight different pieces of the same exact clothing so he can do it in multiple takes because it's probably going to take multiple takes. Right. Have somebody there for makeup. It's going to be so much more money. And we don't have that kind of time and we don't have that kind of money. So what we do is we, you know, we have him jump off screen, do a little splash of water, bada bing, bada boom, the same, you know, it's kind of the same effect. Unless it's super crucial that this guy jumps in the pool and he can get it in one take. Right. And Adam said, he's like, well, I learned something that day. And that made me rethink how I did my writing and my scenes because then I realized, oh, I need to make sure that I'm doing this in such a way that's effective. And that's something that a person potentially would never learn if they can never come to set. So what's happening right now between streaming and kind of these corporations pushing things around, they are cutting down on production time. They are looking at budget cuts. And one of the biggest thing was, is like, oh, well, the writers have come up with the show. Why do we need to stick them around? We'll just keep the top level person, maybe a buddy around and we'll cut all the rest of them. And then those two people from that writer's room will be maybe two people. It sounds like it's mostly just one person gets to stay around. And that's usually the highest person stays around for the production time. And so now you have people not being able to grow and advance their careers, be able to stay around as long. They are now having to find more work because now they aren't getting the most, now they aren't as consistent because the shows are running shorter. And so it hurts those people's ability to live. Okay. Yeah. Michael Schur, who, you know, no big deal. He's worked on stuff like, the Good Place, The Office, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, it's just a bunch of shows no one has ever heard of. Um, he's also expressed a lot of concern regarding around the career development of somebody who wants to work 
NTV as a writer and maybe eventually become a showrunner. So I think that is a pretty widespread concern, including with folks who have already paid their dues, so to speak, and earned where they are and maybe don't see a viable path for those who want to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. And it, it's, it makes sense, right? It, it's a legitimate concern. Like imagine that you're coming into an industry and there was a set path to advancement. And now that set path is being taken away because people are going, Oh, well, it's cheaper just to fire you or not necessarily fire you just say, well, your contract's only going to go for this long because we are doing shorter shows. And yeah. before you were able to do more. And you probably on top of all that are not doing your best work if you're constantly worried about the stability of your career. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you, you know, you're consistently looking for that next gig. You have to spend more and more time. And how do you float? And this is a segue yourself between writers gigs, right? You have to, you know, obviously if you're in a room writing all day, it's very hard to then go out and find a new job. It's a tough thing to be able to find work while doing work and doing a good job because in this type of industry, you know, your, your productivity is right there on the screen. Your ability to take credit for episodes written is right there. It is hard to, you know, kind of maybe fudge a few things on an interview when someone could go like, wait, that show sucked. Why are you so proud of it? And you're like, oh, well, I was the good part. And they're like, I don't know. The entire show is bad. So. Sure. One big thing that they're also kind of pushing for in this is one, like I said, the 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 security of the writer's room and that internal uh, the ability to move up through the writer's room is a big push for them. But also how residuals work is a huge part of this. And even for the actors here, we'll touch on that in a second. But the residuals of writing for a show. How it used to work with, you know, live TV, um, static TV, I think is uh, what I heard someone call it, which sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> but with that, what would happen is, is every time a show was shown on air, every time a little tick would happen and you would get part of that tick for every bit of every time that show showed up on air because people networks were purchasing the ability to show that. And when they purchased it, they would sell ads, all that type of stuff so they could show it and get money for their or for their broadcast. And the people that produced it got money for it and everyone else that was involved in it that had a contract for it, especially writers would get a little tick of that money that was paid for it. Right. And this would happen consistently every time, right? Yeah. Like a show we recently talked about, Futurama was in syndication multiple times, spanning dozens of years. And yeah, uh, yeah. those writers were always getting paid when that show is in syndication. Exactly. So what has now happened with streaming is, is that a, company sells and i'm not saying that this is how it works every single time i again am no way shape or form an expert on the inner workings of how hollywood does their deals but from my understanding and the research that i've done how it works is it is sold to a streaming service like netflix we'll say like a, a show called friends is sold sold to them right and netflix shows that but the thing is is that they aren't paying in the same way. They aren't paying the same ticks every single time to the writers, to everyone involved in that. They get paid the writers and everyone involved that get that residuals, get paid for the initial sale of it. Right. And I can tell you, Jesse, probably even if that initial sale, maybe you get more money because it's part of a larger deal, but I'm assuming if that show is like friends, which is always on, or it used to be always on, I remember coming from home from school and it was on, I remember leaving in the morning for school and it was on. I remember it was on on the weekends, holidays, yeah. always on. Yeah. I can imagine that those ticks add up a lot 
Whereas a show like Netflix has, maybe Orange is the New Black, doesn't work the same way. No, I don't believe it does. And the executives have been, I think, pretty secretive into the exact details behind these contracts um, and how how these things work in terms of like payouts and viewership numbers and stuff. But uh, yeah, it is a, it's a completely different animal in terms of how you're compensated if you're a writer. Right. And another big thing too, is that because of how the compensation works and how the writer rooms are happening, in fact, one good example is, as I referenced it a little bit ago, the show The Bear. Um, I've or, heard good um, things. Oh, man, I wonder who you heard those good things from. Uh, <laughs> you know, some guy. But some uh, guy. yeah, a lot of people have been talking that one up. Yeah. So oh, an award-winning show um, that's out on Hulu. Uh, one of the major actors, sorry, one of the major writers for that show, Alex O'Keefe, always bad with names, apologize, um, writer for the show, put out on Twitter um, a statement that reads, working as a staff writer, I was still broke, still on Medicaid. The studio wouldn't fly me out to the writer's room in LA, so I worked from my Brooklyn apartment. Mm -hmm. My heat was out that pandemic winter. My space heater blew out the lights I worked on episode eight from a library. So this kind of just indicates the level of respect that these corporations are kind of showcasing to these writers, these mm -hmm. people that again, like we stressed before, literally do this job. They're the ones that create, they're the ones that make these moments happen. They're the ones writing these scripts. And so they're the ones doing this. And one of the writers was like, hey, like has said, like I was literally writing the last episode of this TV show that has won awards from a library. There's another one that talks about how somebody was so broke that the award show he went to, he couldn't afford a tie. So he had to rent one. It's all pretty dismal. Exactly. And with that is because they are spending less and less time working in these writer rooms. They have less money. They're doing less, but suddenly corporations are also being like, Hey, could you maybe touch this up a little bit here? Like this script needs a little bit of work. And yeah. that's technically working off contract, but in the same hand, you want to keep that relationship. They're the ones holding the cards, right? And if you say no, then they're going to be like, oh, I remember that guy. He didn't want to work for us. Even if it wasn't true, he's like, I don't, I, you know, we, let's not work with them. Right. And so now you're out of a job even more. You're, you're, you're making bad blood. So you don't want to shake the boat. And so you have to do that. Yeah. I mean, anything they can get away with seems to be, you know, in game here or in play here. Yep. And on top of that, they're also talking about uh, AI uh, and like wanting to pr from protection from that. And so that's a whole part of it and a process where they have to, uh, you know, think about that and are saying like, you know, we you can't like we're not going to let AI replace us. So there has to be uh, promises that we can't be replaced by AI and all those types of things. Yeah. GPT in particular, I think. Yeah, there has been conversations around that uh, company, I think, talking about that. But it's just right. one of those things that they're trying to avoid is that the idea that, oh, AI can generate this. And the same thing, I know that's been conversation in the games industry with dialogue. Uh, musicians, too. Artists, recording artists. So it's throughout the entertainment industry. But um, to your point earlier, if you say no, when a studio or an executive asks you to work off contract to touch up a script or tweak some dialogue here or something like that, 
and you damage that relationship by saying no, I mean, it seems to me like it would be in the back of everyone's mind that if we don't do these things, what's to stop them from just getting AI to, to do that work for them and, and what happens next? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of those big things, right? It's that concern. And I think what's going to stop them is they'll do it and then they'll see how, how, how we as consumers respond and, you know, probably have to walk that back. But the existence of that as a concern is an important thing to address. And I think that's one of the big things that they're trying to address right now is how the integration of technology is going to be a thing because what I'm seeing is, is that writers that were around in the last strike in the, the early 2000s uh, talked a lot about how they, these networks, these companies kind of gaslit them and were like, oh, the internet isn't going to be a big thing like that. Shouldn't Don't worry about the internet. Don't worry about the internet. Yeah. It's not going to be a big issue. And surprise, surprise, the internet is you know, one of the most impressive pieces of <laughs> um, technology for entertainment that has ever been created. And so now a lot of these studios are kind of using that as like, oh, well, like, oh, we can't, you, you know, we can't go back in time. You negotiated this previous contract and now we have this, you, you know, sorry, we can't go back in time. And a lot of writers are like, yeah, we can't go back in time. But what we can do is move forward from here and say, AI is not going to replace us. You will not replace us with AI. I don't know who they thought they were kidding. It's not like the internet was some relic in 2007, 2008. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty far along already. Right. I just think they probably, you know, I don't know. We're like, TV will never die. It's the only way people will ever watch. I mean, Ooh. they're you know, old men yelling at clouds type thing, right? That's the level of competency I feel like some of these CEOs have or, you know, the the uh, ironically a very well syndicated show, uh, you know, no, well, the children are wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people were getting their Netflix movies delivered to their house in a red envelope still at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think we can kind of like that's, like really a lot of the main points the writers are going after is to be like, we want better pay. We want more consistency in our work. We want the respect to, you know, be able to make a career in this. And the corporations of course are like, nah, we like our money because the thing too is, is that they're talking about percentages, right? Mm -hmm. They are talking about not even, I think in the most cases I saw, was that they the writers are asking for not even like 10%, 5%. They're asking for like 1%, point, you know, point something percent. They are asking for a percentage of what is being paid to by these corporations. Mind you, corporations that have CEOs that have seen, you know, just crazy astronomical raises and are making so much money that they literally cannot understand someone being like, Hey, why do you get a 3000 or, you know, 300% raise every single year? And I get a 0.0085% raise every year. Yeah. And that's been a trend coming out of the pandemic and a lot of different industries and a lot of workforces, but I think particularly, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're trying to do a lot of their wealth hoarding because some of their streaming services haven't worked out the way they hoped it would. And maybe the streaming wars kind of made this a little less financially beneficial for some of these folks to get involved in than they thought. Or maybe it's like, you know, uh, David Zaslav over at Warner Brothers Discovery, and he's just trying to burn the house down for the insurance money. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why, but yeah, it's it's a bunch of greedy old fucks, for lack of a better word, uh, trying to hold on to their wealth. Exactly. And 
I think that's a good point to also then move on to with the actors mm-hmm. uh, talking about greedy fucks because I don't think the CEOs of these companies um, thought they because there was at a one point where we were having conversations around these where there was the potential the very sweet and I was kind of excited for it potential for the Writers Guild the Screen Actors Guild and the Directors Guild all going on strike all three of them at once because at that point I mean God like complete outer shutdown of the entertainment industry in its entirety Uh could have happened and what an amazing bargaining tool that could have been for all three of them to be able to really push the envelope to get what they wanted because at that point you (laughs) i mean as much as the these giant corporations want to you know and they've gone on record and said this because they literally uh, a spokesperson said that they're just going to wait them out until october when the writers start losing their homes and start to starve and then they come back to the table so we can negotiate with power it's like literally what a spokesperson said like jesus he, like this is uh, uh monty burns from simpson's level of evil let them eat cake and then work out so well for that ruling class so no see how this one goes but uh, right but yeah I mean, there are a lot of overlaps with the Screen Actors Guild. So I believe the first time, I mean, it would have been nice to get the directors too, but first time writers and uh, screen actors on strike at the same time since 1980. Yep. That's, and that's at the time for people born <laughs> back then. Right. Well, and at the time it was, it was, uh, I think Ronald, Ronald Reagan, uh, was the uh was the president of the uh screen actors guild if i remember correctly there's a lot of irony going on in this episode i dig it uh when which is also really great and the bittersweet irony of it is that he also um was one of the people that i think helped my father potentially not get a great view of of unions because he did a lot of union anti-union work while he was president which is ironic because he was a president of a union and then became a president of a nation and was like you know what screw the unions they they did nothing for me ever in my life yeah yeah easily we forget <laughs> yeah that i mean God, I, I mean, there's so much to talk. I mean, Ronald Reagan in himself and just kind of the intertwining of the entertainment industry and just such a weird freaking. Um, just a lot of problems, I feel like, started in our nation with him. So but that's a whole other topic. That's a slippery, deep rabbit hole, man. <laughs> yes, it is. But like you said, they had both actors and writers have not been on strike since a very long time. And now I think this will allow the. If the two organizations can hold solidarity, because there was for a period of time where the Screen Actors Guild was like, yeah, we're pretty okay with these um, the, the, these terms that we're coming to with the, the at the negotiating table. And a lot of their members responded back with, no, we aren't. No, we want to go on strike because we want better terms. These aren't the terms we are looking for. Um, no. And... Now they're on strike. Now they're pushing. They are in, you know, support and solidarity. And I really do hope that both guilds can push and come to deals with each other at the same time, allowing them to get something better. And that will do a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's the goal. I think for the screen actors, the thing that stood out to me in particular you know, talking about AI was, I don't know how much you've seen about this. You've seen like you were pretty well prepared for this. So I'm sure you've heard of it, but the whole issue around working as an extra and essentially a studio purchasing like the rights to your likeness so that they can digitally recreate you and essentially have no need 
through your work as an extra anymore because they can just use their AI and technology to put you in anything that they want. Right. And I've seen I've seen things that gone back that said that, oh, that they that, that was misunderstood, um, which, you know, I str again, evil, uh, you know, unfortunately for the evil corporation is, is that uh, they've produced so many things out there that mm -hmm. don't make me trust evil corporations because they put out so much media that depict evil corporations as bad that then subsequently when they do things where they're like, oh, no, we definitely didn't say that we would use AI and you know, get money from people that we would put out a digital model of somebody and therefore never have to pay them for their likeness ever again. Yeah, we definitely never said anything like that because we hate money. <laughs> I mean, even Mr. Burns, psychology aside, which is probably fairly accurate in this case, all you have to do is look at, you know, the patterns here, the screenwriters, on strike and the writers on strike because their career development is being threatened and their work being seen as less favorable than the cheap uh, work that uh, AI can provide in a similar role. And then looking at the screen actors and if you can't get work as an extra because this studio won't hire you anymore because they already have your likeness and can use it whenever they want. And you can't go to this studio across the lot because they can't hire you for extra work because your rights are owned by another studio. You don't have a ton of options in terms of how you're supposed to get your career going as an actor at that point. And it's just, you know, comparing the two situations they're facing i think a lot of the same obstacles it's just presented in slightly unique ways but it's it is the easiest thing for me to buy when you look at both situations yeah and even to that point i think another one to kind of bring up to show the kind of these parallels of how streaming has screwed over a lot of these people that are working in this industry for yeah. example uh, uh sean gunn uh talks about the fact that he, he was on Gilmore Girls for the entire run of Gilmore Girls, right? He was in over like a hundred and something odd episodes of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> he was never a main character in Gilmore Girls. He's one of the townspeople, a reoccurring side character, right? Yeah. And he talks about the fact that that show has done probably millions of dollars for the streaming services that they're associated to and he himself a successful actor isn't saying that he wants to see all of that money but he points out he's in a lot of those shows mm -hmm. and he hasn't seen any a lot of money come from those shows in the amounts that would make sense for how much those are out there how much they've been watched and how much they definitely have brought in for those streaming services this all sounds new and horrifying to a lot of people but i come from the wwe fandom side of things where wrestlers who don't work for wwe anymore don't see a ton of residuals or anything for matches or shows that they participated in that are streaming on peacock because they're not currently employed by the company see exactly that type of that's literally the type of crap I think that this is trying to prevent. That's a group that does not have a union, another rabbit hole, maybe some other time, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that's why to me, it's, it seems very obvious where things are going because I mean, Vince McMahon is like the real life embodiment of Mr. Burns <laughs> and slightly the principal of the, of the school too. He, he plays a couple of roles, but these are all things he's already done. And I think oftentimes these greedy, you know, CEOs and executives are just going to emulate what's worked well for one of their buddies and try to make more money and, you know, follow in that same vein. Yeah. Which is the scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it, it sucks, but 
just reading about it, I it's like, yeah, it, it seems very, uh, <laughs> very obvious to me that that would be their goal. And this is how they'd be going about things because it's been proven to work for other entertainment industries. So I hope, you know, being in solidarity together that they're able to avoid that and we'll see what happens. A lot of projects are being impacted already, but you know, we'll see how long studios are willing to let that drag on before they're willing to meet some demands. Yeah. The only part of this, uh, screen and writers guild, um, the only thing I'm not looking forward to in this strike is the new hellscape of reality TV that is going to come out because of it. Yep. Your favorite. Oh, God, just so <laughs> much. Hate. Uh, like I've said on a previous episode, I think it was our guardians episode, but yeah, we we'll just talk about a bunch of old stuff on our show. We'll, we'll find things to talk about. So we won't run out of ideas, but, uh, yeah, the uh, entertainment industry is gonna—it's gonna be looking pretty sad. Yeah, and to be clear, with the uh, actors going on strike, that means that a lot of the shows that and movies that I think we are looking forward to are going to be put on hiatus, and a lot of things that were going to be going into production are going to be put on hiatus, and things that you know were in pre-production are going to be put on hiatus because we don't know how this long this is going to last and it's important that it, and to be clear, I, I am sad that those things are not going to happen when I wanted them to happen. But mm-hmm. also I, I understand unlike these CEOs like Bob Iger, um, who I'll mention a quote that he kind of talked about here in a second. Um, he, I understand these people are trying to fight for a fucking living wage. The ability to afford to live where they work and the ability to advance themselves in a place that allows them to be actually happy and feel secure. So, yeah, if I have to wait even longer to see some of these things that I was excited about seeing, I'm totally fine with that. And I'm actually more excited for them to get what they deserve then have those come out sooner. I'll just watch a bunch of stuff that I never got a chance to see up until now because there's (laughs) too much content coming out. So yeah, I'm I'm not really that concerned about it. Marvel and Disney as a whole probably needs to pump the brakes a little on content that's being produced (laughs) anyway. Um, So, you know, levity aside, I echo those sentiments again you have to stand up for your worth and get paid, you know, your true value. And, you know, I guess see if you can have some of your, as the execs would describe them, unrealistic demands met in terms of living comfortably and being a fair wage for something that you're good at. The whole Bob Iger, um, comment which is funny is that he like getting off some sort of like yacht party thing off his million dollar yacht and all these types of things and he was simply saying that the actors and writers unions going on strike were not being quote unquote realistic with their expectations Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that the man that literally gets paid like that hunt like probably uh, you know what i'll, I'll give him on the, sh- the the low end tens of thousands of dollars every day to yeah. run a company i mean i'm just gonna throw out there probably doesn't understand what realistic actually means and there's the rub yep yeah so that he says uh, they must be realistic about the business environment and what the business can deliver. And these are people, again, that are just wanting a percentage increase of what they are currently getting so they can live. Mm-hmm. 
When you put yeah. it like that, it doesn't sound that unrealistic at all. No. I mean, I'm just going to throw out there, Bob. Maybe uh, knock off a 10000 bucks and spread that around every single day and maybe knock off a 10000 bucks off of a few of your other high-level people. And I think that would solve your problem. <laughs> and I've also seen stuff that from people that, uh, from the companies talking about like, oh, they'll come back because the writers... Well, the writers will get sad because they're not writing. And that's and that's why they're on the strike is because they become sad that they aren't doing what they're passionate about, which is writing. It's just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> well, they have their heads too far up their butts to get over anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they just live in a completely different world than the rest of us working folks and it's not surprising albeit very horrible to have that type of attitude but we will see as they continue to bleed money which they hate the most that's usually <laughs> what uh <laughs> it's amazing what losing just a few percentages off your overall wealth will will do to one of these folks so we'll see yeah, and to be clear on that point, too, I saw some stuff that talked about um, magically there was a bunch of uh, tree trimming that happened overnight uh, at some of these places where they're doing picket lines. So, you know, in the blazing hot heat, all of a sudden, a bunch of trees yeah. lost that wonderful shade. Mm -hmm. um, suddenly, a lot of construction is happening that is preventing uh, sidewalk and uh, street crossing, uh, pedestrian crossing access to a bunch of the front of these studios, which is again magical that it suddenly is lining up right now. <laughs> I believe that tree trimming is also illegal in certain parts of the country during certain months of the year. Yep, and I think they're get. I I did see something that they're talking like a lot of people. There is petitions out there. I'll see if I can find the position and I'll put it in the description of the episode. Um, that talks a little bit more about it, about signing the thing to essentially sue the city uh, or not. Sorry, have the city sue the uh, corporation, because a lot of people are also pointing out that those probably aren't trees that belong to the um, company. So, yeah. Awesome. We need, uh, <laughs> we need more grassroots legal loopholes to, to see this thing through. That's good. Yeah. So it's it's always going to get dirty, though. So I'm sure they were prepared for some of that. And when people are unified for a cause that they believe in, you know, they can withstand some pretty horrific shit. And they already have by the sounds of their working conditions. So, you know, that's a it's a war of attrition. And usually the folks who, you know, have the least uh, last the longest in these things. Yeah. And another thing that if you would like to support um, and I'll put the link again in the description of the episode, if uh, this one, I know I could probably find a lot easier than the um, other one because I was trying to find it before and couldn't find it. Um, but if you'd like to support um, kind of because again, these people are on strike they do pay dues there is the ability for the union to help kind of pay uh a lot of these people uh the support that they need and in fact there's even kind of built-in structure for them to be able to support other people like IATSE, the people that are the crew runners uh that do you know the lights and the set construction and all that type of stuff they aren't currently on strike right but they can't work because they one there's nobody to work with and two that means they would have to cross the picket lines which is something that they wouldn't want the writers or the actors to do if IATSE was on strike so a lot of those members are not crossing the picket line as well to kind of say like you know what I'm in solidarity with them so in that support if you would like to there is an opportunity to donate to make sure I'm getting this right the entertainment community fund which kind of helps support those writers and those actors, as well as IATSE members and other crew members that and, and staff that are supporting the strike that potentially aren't able to work because productions are being shut down now. And 
going forward, it is going to hurt everyone involved because life costs so much nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah, we know it. Uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate you posting that stuff. I hope it works out for these folks, but you know, it's still pretty early on, so we'll see what happens. <clears throat> With that, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Hit The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. We try to get this podcast out weekly, usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, uh, depending on how much I'm doing that weekend. But hey, if we got anything wrong or if we missed something or if there is something I could, you know, I can always go back and add descriptions to this episode uh, of potential other donation or fundraising opportunities for uh, the people that are out there on the picket lines, uh, feel free to email us at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm not going to plug our Patreon this week just because I'd rather if you did decide to you do the Patreon this week for whatever reason, I'd rather you uh, go and support uh, these people doing the picket stuff with that. So, like always, hey, keep it real. Mm -hmm.